When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the last episode of the Summer Tour Edition of Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living. I'm Sid Evans, Editor-in-Chief of Southern Living Magazine. We're going to have a whole new slate of episodes starting later this month, but I can't think of a better way to wrap up the summer than a conversation with one of the most talented singer-songwriters in Nashville. Madeline Edwards grew up in a large musical family that moved from Santa Barbara, California to Houston, Texas when she was in high school. The move would have a huge impact not only on her life, but also on her music. Her sound combines influences of country, jazz, soul, and rock, and is sometimes reminiscent of her musical heroes, Ella Fitzgerald and Shania Twain. Today, Madeline talks about what finally made her take the leap to move to Nashville, and how she went from no prospects to performing with Mickey Guyton at the CMAs and touring with Chris Stapleton. Plus, she shares how her cocktail skills have made her some new friends on the road and her secret to making the perfect ranch water. All that and more this week on the final summer tour edition of Biscuits and Jam. Madeline Edwards, welcome to Biscuits and Jam. Thank you for having me. This is so exciting. So you were born in Santa Barbara, California. Is that right? I was. Mm -hmm. But you spent your high school years in... Houston, Texas, which had to be a very interesting transition. It was an interesting transition, mostly because anytime you move during that period in general, when you're in high school, when you're a teenager, you know, you're going through puberty, you're having hormone changes, but then all of a sudden you're moving from California to Texas, which are two very different states, geographically, politically, all of that. It was a big transition, and I think that's kind of when I dove into music a lot harder than I ever had before, because initially when my mom put me in piano when I was four years old, I didn't care about playing piano, and I hated it. And then once I started figuring out, oh, I could write music and process all of my feelings this way and process my hatred towards my parents and the angst of like high school and all this stuff, then I start kind of boring into it a little bit more. Wow. So it really helped you kind of get through that transition. It did for sure. It was a huge part of my growing up and learning how to be not only a teenager, but an adult and figure out how to process and negotiate and compile all of my emotions and feelings and and learn how to express them in a healthy, productive way, I think. So what was the story behind that move? I mean, you pick up and you're moving from this beautiful beach town, you're right on the ocean, moving to this huge city of Mm -hmm. Houston. Why did your folks make that move? I'm the oldest of a family of seven. So it was both my parents and then me and my four siblings. So there's me and my sister and then three brothers. 
And it's a very expensive place to live when you have a family of that size. And so Texas was a very affordable option at the time. All of us were doing music. All of us were playing sports. And to do all of those activities in California, there wasn't a whole lot of opportunity for us to do those types of things there. But also, it was very expensive. And so my family, I know they were looking at different options of what would be, you know, an affordable place for us to move all of these kids and do it in a successful, cost-effective way. And so, you know, I think my dad had gone to Houston for some sort of business convention or something like that and saw how affordable it was to live out there. And also Texas is so inviting and welcoming. It has all of that Southern charm of like, I will take you in no matter where you're from. So yeah, we definitely had this appeal to go there and we kind of felt like we fit in a little bit. So that was kind of the reason for the move. So tell me a little bit about the home and the neighborhood that you grew up in in Texas or where you lived in Texas. So we lived in a very suburban area of Houston. It was a bunch of sports going on in that town. I was very involved. My brother played baseball. I played competitive tennis. Sports were very much like they made your identity a little bit where we were in Houston. It was just very suburban. It was kind of a cool area to grow up because there were a lot of kids where we were. Not as many kids as there was in Santa Barbara. Obviously, there weren't a whole lot of kids in Santa Barbara for us to play with, but we got to kind of build our community around these kids that we played sports with, these kids that we did music with, people that we went to high school with, different things like that. And so it was cool because it was, we grew up in Atascacito, which is kind of between Humble and Kingwood. It's the suburban area in Houston. And there was parts of it where there was like total countryside. And then we lived near a lake. So we had a lot of time near the lake and And then you have, you know, 45 minutes away, you have downtown Houston, which is very modern. And the architecture in Houston is just constantly progressing. And it's amazing. So you have this really cool mix of everything, of all this country and rural areas, but also all of this tech and oil industry kind of infiltrating in the Houston metropolitan area. So I feel like me and my siblings grew up around a lot of everything. We grew up. Yeah, sure. two completely different political climates. We grew up in two completely different geographical architecture, everything, how people are, how they you know raise their families, everything like that, in two completely different areas. And so I feel like me and my family grew up with a very unbiased opinion towards everything. We kind of are middle ground when it comes to a lot of things. But it was cool to grow up that way because I feel like we got a lot of different viewpoints and it, it helped us create a really full circle opinion of, of how we see life and how we see people. And I feel like you can hear a lot of that in my songwriting. I mean, it is such an interesting city and it's got Mm -hmm. so much going on and it's so progressive in so many ways. And Mm -hmm. it has been for a long time and you've really got just such a melting pot of all different types of people. Mm -hmm. It just seems like a very interesting place to grow up. It's amazing. I mean, I miss Houston constantly. I talk about it in my music. I talk about it in interviews like this one. Houston, as much as I think people would like to think Texas leans one way more than another, it's actually very down the middle because there's a lot of culture in Houston. We had a lot of people that were from Nigeria that went to my high school. We had a lot of people that were from India that were at my high school. So I grew up in a very diverse 
friend group in Houston because we had friends from all parts of the world. And that's why Houston's considered a quote unquote port city, which is where that song that I wrote port city came from. There's such an influx of different cultures and different nationalities in that city that it felt very at home for me. It never felt like there was just a ton of white people or, you know, whatever. It didn't ever feel like that. The diversity in Houston was, was a strong aspect of why I loved it so much. And so I really do miss it a lot. Well, and it's also such a food town. And, you know, I love to talk about food on this podcast. Mm -hmm. You grew up in this large family. There were a lot of mouths to feed. Talk to me about food at home. I mean, who was the cook in your family? Yeah. Um, not to get like too personal about it, but my dad was actually the cook in our family. I mean, you can hear this in my music. My brother is also a musician and an artist out of Houston. And he talks about this a lot in his music too. But we we grew up in a very abusive household with our dad and he's actually not in our lives anymore. We haven't seen or heard from him in a very long time and it's for the better. But he was actually the cook in our family. And he was a very good cook. He grew up in the restaurant industry. He was very involved in the restaurant industry. So he knew how to mix flavors and seasonings and different type of proteins with all of this experimental food. And I uh, resented cooking for a very long time Mm. because he was the cook in our family and I couldn't associate cooking with anything other than this parental figure that we just had a lot of trauma from. And so It wasn't until I got married a year and a half ago and COVID hit and restaurants shut down and it kind of forces you to to make things yourself and to experiment with your own kinds of food, experiment with drinks and you know, recipes and things like that, that I kinda came to figure out that I'm actually a really good cook and I love (laughs) cooking. (laughs) I love having people over and and cooking for them and and loving on them in that way. And I kind of found a way to separate that from just because I'm a good cook or just because I love this. It doesn't make me my father. It It's, you know, an expression of who I am. And, and this is how I'm able to serve people and love people well. And so I don't have to associate it with that part of my past to accept it as a really good thing in my life. Well, so tell me about that a little bit. I mean, what, what are some things that you really love to make? I mean, do you have a real connection with Texas when it comes to food or is it more sort of international or, or what's your interest? It is kind of a connection to Texas. I will say I have a huge passion for cocktail making. Oh, It's something that I kind of picked up during COVID. I'm a massive fan of tequila and any type of mezcal, but really any type of liquor, <laughs> I, I will find some way to make a drink out of it or a cocktail. But I started diving into cocktail recipe books and different types of liquors and how they pair well with other foods. And I kind of started taking on this hobby of making these craft cocktails during COVID. And it's something that I do to this day. I'll even bring my cocktail kit with my shaker and my little stirring spoon and everything. I'll bring it on the road with me so that I can like serve drinks to, you know, my band or the Stapleton's camp or El King or whatever that looks like. But in terms of food, I really love anything that is Mexican food. I love making fajitas. I love making tacos, any type of Southwestern food. I have a really, really good shrimp and bacon fettuccine Alfredo that I make. So it is kind of rooted in Texas, but I kind of 
just find my little specialty dishes and stick with those. Those cocktails probably make you pretty popular backstage on the road. <laughs> it has sparked a very amazing and unconventional relationship with El King. <laughs> I remember actually I was terrified when I first met her because she's such a big personality and I love it so much. So you're just like, oh, I don't know how to approach this. How do I come up to her? How do I say hi? And then one time I just was like, you know, what? I'm just going to go bring her a margarita. So I made her a true like Texas style margarita and I like brought it to her dressing room and we've been friends ever since. I love that. I love that. So Madeline, what about grandparents? Did you have grandparents that you were close to? I did. So my grandparents actually lived in Fresno, which is about two or three hours from Santa Barbara, but those were my mom's side. And back in those you know, years, Fresno was a huge farming community. There wasn't a whole lot there yet. And we definitely kind of got immersed in the country culture of like rodeo town, farming, country music, all of that kind of stuff when we would go up to see my grandparents in Fresno. So you had a taste of that. So you, it wasn't that foreign to you when you moved to Houston. No, it wasn't. I, we really did have a taste of that because of our traveling back and forth between Santa Barbara and Fresno. We were kind of already exposed to that a little bit. Well, I want to talk about music for a second. And you, you grew up with all these brothers and sisters, and you said a number of them are musical. Mm -hmm. What were you exposed to as a kid, what you what got you excited musically? I loved jazz when we were younger. We were kind of, not sheltered isn't the right word. We were very much in our own world because when we were in Santa Barbara, we would go in between homeschooling and private school and different things like that. And our whole world was kind of like me and my siblings and the music that we listened to and the movies that we would watch. And so we were very exposed to older stuff like Dave Brubeck, Miles Davis. We would watch Turner Classic movies every single day. I mean, we just had it on playing in the background. We never were really exposed to modern things. Like I'm pretty sure that Britney Spears was popular when I was younger, but I can't remember because I was never interested in that stuff. My mom was very much about, you know, she wanted us to listen to jazz. She wanted us to listen to classical. She wanted us to listen to old country Western music. And I don't know if that was because she didn't like the music that was modern during that time, or if it was more of a, I want them to be exposed to the best first. But we were kind of weirdos when we were little kids. I mean, we had a record player and we would go search for old records in thrift stores and we would pick up like the carpenters or we'd pick up earth, wind and fire and bread, you know, like we never listened to modern stuff when we were little kids. We just didn't like it very much. So this wasn't just you. This was also your siblings were mm -hmm. kind of in the same camp. We were all the same. Me and my siblings are very close and we all had the same taste and we all were, I mean, we were a weird little family of weirdos. <laughs> and wonderful. I mean, You've got this beautiful voice, Madeline. Was that something that your siblings shared as well, or did their musical interests come out in other ways? So me and all of my siblings, I would say, are pretty decent musicians. My brother, that's actually still in Texas, he's in Houston. His name's Micah Edwards, and he has this amazing voice, and he's kind of a cross between like Leon Bridges and Charlie Crockett. 
but we all came out with really good voices and a lot of musical talent, which we have no idea where it came from because neither of our parents are musical. And even my sister, my sister is adopted. You wouldn't be able to tell because she looks just like us, but even she has some type of musical capability. So I, I'm not sure where it came from, (laughs) but we all have it. And I think we're all decently uh, talented at singing. Must be pretty fun at the holidays. Oh, yes. We we can we can drop some musical carols and Christmas carols at any point. <laughs> We're like the Von Trapps. <laughs> you know, you have this great song called Trying to Make Sense, mm-hmm. which is one of the first songs that I was exposed to of yours. And it's this very sort of jazzy song. And it's got these vocal runs in it that sort of reminds me of Ella Fitzgerald. And I'm just wondering if she was an influence on you. The reason why I sing is because of Ella Fitzgerald. I remember hearing one of her songs when I was four. What was it? It was the scatting section in Blue Skies, which to me still to this day is one of the most incredible things I've ever heard because she uses her voice to mimic the brass section in the song. And I just was so emotionally moved by it that I was like, I think I want to do music for the rest of my life. I don't know what this looks like. I don't know if I'm going to be singing. I don't know if I'm going to be doing music management. I don't know what this looks like, but this is what I wanted. I want to be in music. This is what I want to do. And I mean, I've even toyed with the idea of naming my daughter, if I ever have a daughter, Ella. Like, I mean, she is a huge influence of mine and the reason why I do music today. Hmm. Well, so you're really into jazz as a kid and you're listening to all this stuff that most kids don't listen to. But then you're in high school in Texas. You must be hearing like George Strait and... Willie Nelson and Mm -hmm. Alan Jackson and all these guys on the radio. Talk to me about your relationship with country music and and how that kind of got started. Yeah. So we actually started listening to country music even before we moved to Texas, because whenever we'd go see my mom's family in Fresno, like I said, we'd put on country stations and that was kind of all that was playing in Fresno. And it would be a lot of what you just said, like Alan Jackson Willie Nelson, Shania Twain, Reba. And so (laughs) we were exposed to that also very early on. And I remember listening to that and thinking, well, this isn't jazz, but I really do like what's going on here. I love the storytelling in this. And once we got to Texas, it was just even more emphasized, I think a little bit, because at that point, especially since we were playing so many sports at that, at that time, then you're listening to you know, Kenny Chesney and Brad Paisley. And we were listening to Keith Urban and Keith Urban was kind of the, the switch in my head a little bit because I saw him doing this very emotional music and it was very meaningful and he was playing piano and I hadn't seen a lot of country artists playing piano. And to me, it was like, this is such a beautiful genre And I don't know how I could fit this into my style, but I would love to find a way to do that somehow because I think it did make up who I was. I just didn't know how to quite do it at that point yet. Yeah. You know, I've heard you mention uh, Shania Twain as an influence, and it Mm -hmm. is amazing to me how often she gets referenced by 
different artists. Mm -hmm. What was it about her music in particular that resonated with you? Shania, I think, is a huge influence to a lot of people, no matter what genre. I mean, there has been times I've heard Harry Styles say that Shania was his biggest influence. I've heard Post Malone say that Shania Twain was his biggest influence. Casey Musgrave, you know what I mean? Like, there are so many people that think of Shania in that way. And I think it's because for me personally, when I was listening to her with the kind of jazz background that I had, I heard her implementing jazz chords and jazz progressions into her music. And that's personally why I was so drawn to her. But I think why she has just surpassed any kind of genre or anything like that is because she has a way of taking her songwriting and the way she produces out her music. And it is able to cross multiple genres. And that's why, you know, her music has been popular in Australia. Her music's been popular in the UK. It's still popular in Asia. And it's because it's just crossing all boundaries. It was one of those phenomenons in the 90s that, yes, she was making country music, but you were hearing it all over pop radio. And I mean, she was competing with... Christina Aguilera, she was up there with Britney Spears. You know what I mean? She was kind of still in that threshold of this music is so good that even though it is not quote unquote pop music, it was still able to live in that realm because she was able to find a way to marry the two sounds between country and pop and every other genre. And so I I definitely see her as a genre defying artist. And I think most artists try to be that and i think that's why she's such an influence to so many people i'll be back with more from madeline edwards after the break welcome back to biscuits and jam from southern living i'm sid evans and i'm talking with madeline edwards You've clearly gotten the country bug and you moved to Nashville not long ago. What finally made you take that leap and what were the first few months in Nashville like for you? So I got married a year and a half ago and my husband and I were long distance at the time. He was in Mississippi and I was in Houston and we were trying to decide a place to land and I told him, I was like, it's funny. We actually talked about it just yesterday with everything going on with the Stapleton tour and everything happening. And he's like, man, it's just so funny to think that when we first started dating, actually on our first date, I told him, this is what I'm doing with music. And this is what I want to do. And if you're going to be along for the ride, you need to be okay with this. There's a possibility of this being bigger than I even think it could be. And is this okay with you? And he is, I mean, he's the most supportive partner I could ever ask for, but we were trying to decide on a place to move after we got married. And I knew that my career would not be able to do what it needed to in Mississippi. And we were having a hard time finding a job for him in Houston. And so we were kind of toying with the ideas of LA and Nashville and New York and And Nashville was just kind of the place that we decided on just because it was kind of still close to both of our families. And it was a place that I could pursue music and probably maybe do well. The first few months in Nashville were 
very slow. (laughs) It was still kind of during COVID times and nothing was totally open yet. And it was very anticlimactic. I mean, you move there with these big dreams and these big goals. And I remember for the first year I was just sitting, I was just writing my own music. I put out my first EP that did seemingly well called The Road. And everything was pretty low key. There was nothing too, too much that happened. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, you know, I get the call from Amanda Shires, who's in the high women. And she asked me to be on this song for Lady Gaga's 10 year anniversary of born this way. And from that point on, things just kind of snowballed into this really big, then it was the CMAs. And then it was getting asked to go on tour with the Stapletons. And then it was just all of these things just lined back to back to back. So it's funny. I think a lot of people think that the first year it was just like we got here and then everything happened all at once. But really for the first, you know, six to eight months, it was very much just like a game of us twiddling our thumbs and wondering (laughs) if we made the right decision to move to Nashville. Well, some people twiddle their thumbs for a lot longer than that. You know, I talked to Walker Hayes uh, recently, and I think it took him more like, you know, 10 years Mm -hmm. or longer. Right. But I want to ask you about something that that happened that seems pretty transformative. So I I interviewed Mickey Guyton and Brittany Spencer on this podcast, and you had a great performance with them at the CMA Awards last year. Thank you. um, For a song called Love My Hair. Talk to me about how that came together and what that moment meant for you. Yeah. So I had met Mickey and Brittany when I first moved to Nashville through a mutual friend and kept a friendship with them. I We weren't like super, super close or anything like that. And so I was really shocked when Mickey FaceTimed me one day to ask me about the CMAs. She FaceTimed both me and Brittany at the same time and was like, I just got off of a meeting with the producers of the CMAs and they asked me, do you want to bring anyone else to sing this song with you? And her answer was Brittany and Madeline. And it was shocking to me because I hadn't had this, you know, longstanding relationship with this woman. And yet she's inviting me to be a part of this incredible moment in this insane space. And also I just hadn't been in Nashville that long. I know that Brittany and Mickey had had a way longer run in Nashville than I did. And there were a lot of other artists that she could have asked to do that. So it was a big moment for my career in that sense. But also, as we got closer to the performance, it wasn't even just about my career anymore. It was kind of more this taking a step back and realizing that this was a really big moment for country music. This was a really big moment for the CMAs, having this many Black women on stage representing country music. And it would have been a historical moment and is a historical moment. And once that weight kind of set in, then I was like, oh, this isn't just a big moment for my career. This is a big moment for country music and for American history as we know it and just seeing how things are progressing. And so it was really special. It was very emotional for me. Mm. I remember crying backstage with my manager. I remember crying backstage with Mickey and Brittany. It was this moment that I feel like all of us can kind of look back on and be like, we really changed the game with this. And we continue to do that. And it's exciting. So it's amazing. Well, and the girl who introduced y'all, who, as I recall, had been told that she couldn't wear her hair 
that way at school, they told mm-hmm. her she was going to have to change her hair. And then she ended up introducing y'all at the CMAs. Mm-hmm. It was a big moment for her. It was such a full circle of events for her, for me, for Mickey, for Brittany, for all of us. I'm super proud of her. Her name's Faith. And and also, like, I would have loved to see the expression on her teacher's face after, <laughs> after her announcing that. It's just kind of like, look how far she's come and look how much work we all still have to do in terms of making a safe space for women and a safe space for women of color to be represented really well, not in just music, but in our country in general. And I think that was a really amazing way to introduce the song, which Us. was so true. I don't know, it was just great. So you've mentioned Chris Stapleton, you've been touring with him. I've just got to ask, what are some things that, that you've learned from that experience? Yeah, I love touring with the Stapletons. I, I love the Stapletons in general. I always talk about it. <laughs> I just, I think so highly of them as people and as artists he is very dedicated to his craft and it's really made me want to dive in even deeper to my own. And it makes you understand why he's so good at what he does is because he is really just obsessed with the perfection of his craft and it's inspiring to me. But at the same time, you know, his family is there and he makes so much time for them. And Morgan, his wife is, has been, so gracious to me. I mean, she just kind of took me under her wing as soon as I got to Nashville and she's been so sweet. And I don't know, it's been really cool to see the balance of music and family in, in their whole world and just how that works because music is obviously very important to me. It always has been, but family is also very important, not just my immediate family with my mom and my siblings and making sure that I'm able to take care of them, but also, you know, my husband and the family that we're hopefully going to be creating one day. I want to make sure that there's a healthy balance between me pouring in all of my heart and soul into my music and into my craft and making sure that it's perfect. But also I want to be able to balance that and be a a good wife at home. I want to be able to be a good mother one day. So being able to see the balance of that with them has been really cool. Hmm. Well, Madeline, it's been a big month for you. It's been a big year for you. And I want to ask you about your new EP. You have this new self-titled EP out. And there's a wonderful track on there that you mentioned that's called Port City. And it sounds like a little bit of a a love song to Houston to me. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about where that song came from and what was on your mind at the time. I wrote that with two brilliant writers, Court Clements, who's out of Nashville, and then Josh Moore, who's who's been my producer for a minute now. I wrote it with both of them. And it is kind of my love letter to Houston. It's like a love letter and a goodbye letter at the same time. It's kind of just that leap that I made after I got married. And I was like, I want to do this. And I think this might be my last chance to do really do this right, because I'm getting older. And I'm, you know, wanting to start a family at some point. And so if we're going to do this, we're going to go all in, we're going to do the damn thing, you know? And so this was kind of my Houston, you've been so good to me, you've taught me so much, but in order to take the leap to do what I think I need to do in order to make this work, I have to say goodbye to you. I think everyone has that leap at some point. For me, 
Port City was about Houston and it was about leaving my friends and family and my whole community there. But I think when people listen to that song, it can represent a lot of things. It can represent moving away from home for the first time. It could represent getting married for the first time, taking a leap and starting your own company, taking a leap and starting to have a family. So I just want people to be able to hear that song and and input their own life circumstances and feel the fear and the tension and the excitement and the joy of taking a leap like that and starting something new. And I don't know. I think like any great song, which that is, I think you can kind of take away from it what you what you need um, mm-hmm. and you can hear it in your own way. And it's a beautifully written song. Thank you. I want to ask you about another one that is totally different. And it's this song called Hold My Horses. And this one is like a total rocker. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just it's very different than your earlier stuff. And I'm just wondering, what were you tapping into when you wrote that one? Because it does feel so different and it's so fun and it sounds like a great song to play in front of 30,000 people Mm -hmm. at a Chris Stapleton show. So talk to me about that one. Yeah. So I have to start by saying I wrote that with two other women. The fact that that song was written by three women, I think is the most badass thing in the world. (laughs) I think it competes with all of the music that men are putting out on the radio. It was written with a girl that I write with actually in Texas that helped me write the road and several other songs that I've written. Her name's Joy Hannah and then Claire Essid. And I say this all the time, but I think low key, I'm a closet rocker. (laughs) I, I know that my background's in like classical and jazz, but at the end of the day, I think just given all of the experiences I've had in my past and all of the angst and the, power, but all the rebellion that I have in me, I just kind of, I'm able to put that out in music. And if you see me perform live, a lot of people see me and they even say, we see you transform on stage. You become a different person. You become this like huge powerhouse where like me in person, like you're seeing it right now, I'm a total nerd and I'm like weird and awkward. And I say weird things and I do weird things. And in person, I'm a completely different personality than I am on stage. And I think on stage, I embody this and this is how I've manifested it. It's, it's me taking that and, and, you know, making myself a better person, but also wanting to encourage other people to like claim their own power, like claim their own success and their own trajectory of where they're going. And so I feel like with hold my horses, it was kind of my first step into that world of like, actually, I think I can make this really like positively aggressive music that is still rooted in country. And it's this kind of swampy Southern feel, but also has this kind of bit of angsty rock vibe to it that I think would resonate well with people, but also still be commercial. And so that's kind of where that song was, was born. And 
I'm so proud of that song. I love it so much. I still, to this day, I rock out to it all the time. It kind of sounds like you're channeling a little Shania Twain, maybe. Uh, yes, always. <laughs> always <laughs> channeling Shania, for sure. Or Brandy Carlisle, too. Yeah, Brandy's really good about that, too. Channeling that inner angst, I think. So I want to ask you uh, a Texas question. So a couple of years ago, we did a story about how to make a ranch water, <gasps> Ooh. which is not a very complicated <laughs> cocktail. <laughs> Um, but the story just took off and every time we write about ranch water, it, it takes off. And as someone who loves to make cocktails, can you please tell me what is the secret of a good ranch water? Oh my gosh. I love this question so much. This is probably my favorite question that you've asked so far. <laughs> this is amazing. Okay. So I have to preface it with no one other than Texans call it ranch water, I feel like. And we're so pretentious about it that anytime I ask for a ranch water in Nashville, no bartenders know what I'm talking about. And then I have to explain it to them and they roll their eyes at me and they're like, okay, so you want a tequila soda. <laughs> so the secret to ranch water is the lime juice. It's not just a little splash of lime. It's definitely like fresh squeezed, fresh out of the grocery store or off the tree or whatever you get fresh limes, you squeeze the juice. And I always put probably like an ounce of lime juice with tequila and then with a Topo Chico. So in my personal opinion, it's not a true ranch water unless you make sure that the sparkling water that you add is Topo Chico. So you can have a tequila soda, but it's not the same in my opinion. So a lot of lime juice. Mm -hmm. And what is it about the Topo Chico? Topo Chico to me is the best sparkling water. It has more bite to it and it stays carbonated longer. So there have been times that I've, I've even kept a Topo Chico out on the counter for a whole day and I'll go back and drink it later and it's still carbonated. It's not flat. And so, uh, yeah, we're very proud Texas people. And <laughs> if it comes to anything, Texas will always tell you it's better than everything else. But Topo Chico is, is definitely what makes a ranch water good. And if you put salt or tahine on the rim with a lime, that makes it, it's like the chef's kiss to a ranch water. <laughs> you can't beat it. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, Madeline, I just have one more question for you. What does it mean to you to be Southern? Ooh, that's a good question. To me, being Southern means this deep appreciation for everything that makes the South, which is just like this good old Southern appeal. Like everyone is kind to each other here. The South has this way of taking a lot of pride and making sure everyone feels at home, whether that's with a good home cooked meal or inviting people over and listening to music with them or being a part of the family. It's also this ability to accept the mistakes that the South has made and want to make them better. And I feel like I've always surrounded myself with a really good community in 
whether it be in Texas or in Nashville, just anyone in the South that has understood that and has made steps towards this is how I think we can make the South better and more accepting of everybody, which they already do so well. Like the South already has this amazing heart and bringing people in and wanting them to feel loved and wanting to make them a good home cooked meal and make them feel like family and just extending that even more to different groups of people. And I think that's really important. And that's kind of why I'm really proud to say that I'm from the South and be a face that looks different than what I think people would expect to see of the South. You know, obviously I'm a woman from a mixed race household and I love country music and I love good food. I love good Southern food. I love good Mexican food. And I don't know. I think it's really cool to see people like me that claim the South because then it looks different than what people think that it looks. And so I think that's kind of my pride around it. And that's kind of why I love it so much. Beautifully said. All that and a good ranch water. Um, and you <laughs> yeah. can't go wrong. <laughs> Come over anytime and I will make you the best ranch water, best margarita you've ever had. So, <laughs> Well, Madeline Edwards, thanks so much for being on Biscuits and Jam. Thank you for having me. This has been an absolute joy. So thank you. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Madeline Edwards. You can check out her debut self-titled EP wherever you get music. Make sure to visit MadelineEdwardsMusic.com for tour dates and more. Southern Living is based in Birmingham, Alabama. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And we'd love your feedback. If you could rate this podcast and leave us a review, we'd really appreciate it. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuits and jam. We'll be taking a quick break, but make sure to join us back here on September 27th when we kick off a slate of brand new episodes of Biscuits and Jam. <laughs>